it's time to talk about how corporations won their civil rights. For that, we turn to Adam Winkler. He teaches law at UCLA. He's written for the New York Times, the New York Review, the Washington Post, and other publications. His last book was Gunfight, the Battle Over the Right to Bear Arms in America. His new book is We the Corporations. Adam Winkler, welcome back. Thanks so much for having me. Well, corporations today have nearly all the same rights as individuals. Freedom of speech, freedom of the press, religious liberty, due process, equal protection, freedom from unreasonable searches and seizures, the right to counsel, the right against double jeopardy, the right to trial by jury. The big question is, how did we get here? My understanding after reading your book is that Trump didn't really do any of this. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, uh, 2010 Citizens United highlighted that corporations had already won important rights, like the right to spend their money to influence election. And then in 2014, the Supreme Court followed that up with the Hobby Lobby case, which said corporations have religious freedom under a federal statute and entitled the company to an exemption from a law requiring them to cover birth control and employee plans. Uh, and uh, uh, this sort of raised the question about how did corporations win our most fundamental rights? Uh, and as shocking and, and as disturbing as it may seem, much like women and minorities, corporations were not part of the original promise of we the people, but they have fought for 200 years to win equal rights under the Constitution. Uh, let's talk about the beginning of this. As far as I know, the the real turning point in corporate corporations gaining rights was the 14th Amendment adopted after the civil just after the civil war the purpose was to guarantee equal rights to freed slaves soon it became the basis of equal rights for corporation how did that happen what was the original intent of the authors of the 14th amendment well, the story of how corporations won rights under the 14th Amendment is one of the most remarkable in the history of the whole Supreme Court, I think. Um, uh, and it's not the very first time the Supreme Court dealt with the rights of corporations. The first Supreme Court case on the rights of corporations actually was decided in 1809, a half century before the first Supreme Court cases on the rights of women or racial minorities. Um, uh, but some of the most important and influential decisions were those that came out of a remarkable series of cases brought by the Southern Pacific Railroad company to win rights under the 14th Amendment. This was in the 1880s, and the Southern Pacific Railway, Railroad Company hired an illustrious lawyer by the name of Roscoe Conkling, who had even been nominated and confirmed to sit on the Supreme Court himself, turning down the seat, being the last person ever to turn down a seat on the Supreme Court after having won confirmation. He was simply making too much money as a lawyer for the railroad. <laughs> wow. And uh, he went to the Supreme Court, and he said that the 14th Amendment uh, was drafted not just to protect the freedmen, but also to protect business corporations. And Conkling had been himself one of the drafters of the 14th Amendment. Wow. And it turns, out, it turns out that we know now that Conkling lied to the Supreme Court, that although he was viewed by the justices as a peer, as someone who had been nominated himself and had been a Republican leader, a leader in the Republican Party in Congress for decades, but he lied to the Supreme Court. Eventually, the Supreme Court did accept his argument, though, that the 14th Amendment protected corporations. And in the years to follow, corporations would win much more vibrant protections under the 14th Amendment than African Americans, the 14th Amendment's intended beneficiaries. You said that the first time that, corpor that corporations were recognized as having civil rights came in 1809. That's, you know, shortly after the founding of, of our country. What argument did they make in 1809? The corporations that existed then aren't really very much like American Media, Inc. 
They aren't really, although the first Supreme Court case on the rights of business corporations was brought to the court um, by one of the most, if not the most powerful and richest corporation in America at the the time, the Bank of the United States, the first bank, which is famous, of course, for giving rise to the two competing political parties as it split Washington's cabinet uh, and giving rise to, I guess, a great rap battle in Hamilton the musical. Um, But the Bank (laughs) of the United States was set up as a private corporation, and it had stockholders and branches from Boston to New Orleans, and Jeffersonians um, uh, determined were like opponents of Obamacare, and they were determined to kill it by any means necessary, and they passed a tax on the Savannah branch of the bank, and the bank wanted to challenge that tax in federal court, Um, and the question was, did the bank have the right to sue under Article 3 of the Constitution that provides a right of citizens to to sue citizens of other states in federal court? Uh, and uh, although the framers were not thinking about corporations, uh, and the text refers specifically to a right of citizens, the Supreme Court in 1809 uh, read that clause to protect business corporations. It's important to note that in 1857, in the notorious Dred Scott case, the Supreme Court read that exact same provision of Article Three about the right to sue in federal court for citizens, said that could not, uh, that African Americans could not be citizens under the same provision that corporations were protected by. You know, those of us who grew up in the era of the Warren Court, who learned about Brown versus Board of Education, grew up thinking of the Supreme Court as a defender of rights, have been very dismayed that the court in the, you know, the last decade or so has strayed from that path. But you make the point that over the long history of the Supreme Court, the Warren Court is very much the exception. That's right. I mean, when we look back, we see this very long history and tradition of corporations using the court's to expand their power and to overturn laws regulating business. Laws designed to protect consumers or investors or the public at large. Um, The corporations have been uh, really quite adept at this. Uh, And it's true the Warren Court um, is one that that had an unusual um, consciousness of racial justice and access to justice and equal rights. Um, But the Supreme Court, um, despite being liberal and conservative during various times in its history, has almost always been very business-friendly. One of the surprising things I find about even the Warren Court is that the Warren Court also expanded the rights of business corporations uh, and did so um, uh, in order to protect liberal values like the freedom of the press. When you think about one of the most important First Amendment cases ever decided was New York Times versus Sullivan giving recognizing the right to criticize public officials. That case was brought in the name of a corporation by a corporation, the New York Times Company. And if you think about it, what is The Post, the popular movie today, uh, but a movie about a for-profit business corporation, a newspaper, that was asserting its constitutional rights. And indeed, uh, American Media Inc. Uh, claims to have the same rights as the Washington Post, and I guess we uh, we all accept that today, that the Supreme Court can't distinguish between the National Enquirer and the Washington Post in terms of their rights. And maybe it shouldn't distinguish between the Washington Post and the National Enquirer, both corporations that are devoted to the publication of the printed word, whereas perhaps what the Supreme Court has lost sight of is the distinction between media corporations like newspapers and outlets that uh, really contribute to that democratic deliberation and checking of government uh, and uh, advertisements by Exxon uh, or uh, Mobile Oil or uh, other big corporations spending shareholders' money to promote a partisan view of politics. 
you show how ingenious, how bold the attorneys for corporations have been. Citizens United is one of the most striking cases here where the issue became not just the rights of Citizens United to say whatever they wanted to say, but the rights of of the audience, of us, of, of readers and listeners to hear what different people have to say. Remind us of uh, how, the, how that story developed. Well, it's really one of uh, a really surprising uh, counterintuitive story in some ways, which is that Ralph Nader uh, in some ways did more to advance the cause of business speech rights than anyone. Now, I have in to say United- on KPFK, that, that's really blasphemy. Ralph Nader is a I god know. on KPFK. I know, but let's but let me tell you the story, and you can judge for yourself. Okay. I mean, obviously, Ralph Nader was uh, uh, was focusing on helping the rights of consumers in the 1970s. Yes. Uh, and uh, and Nader w- took a landmark case to the Supreme Court um, uh, that challenged restrictions on pharmacists' ability to advertise drug prices. Uh, and he wasn't trying to help out the pharmacists or the businesses that wanted to advertise. He was trying to help out the consumers. And so he argued to the Supreme Court that the consumers had rights to hear what the pharmacists would say in their advertisements. Yeah. And the Supreme Court said yes. yes. And that case, yeah, that case established what's known as the commercial speech doctrine, and it gave corporations the right to advertise. And since then, that right has been used far more on behalf of business corporations to challenge restrictions on their advertising and on uh, disclosure requirements uh, than it has been by consumers seeking to get access to information. And in fact, um, uh, the current head of Public Citizen uh, recently wrote an article arguing for a constitutional amendment eliminating all rights for corporations, uh, which of course in many ways stemmed from this really important uh, case. And, uh, and I say that, remember, in Citizens United, the Supreme Court majority opinion specifically harkened back to that listener's rights theory of the First Amendment, first established by Ralph Nader's lawsuit um, back in the 1970s. So it is a sign of how there's sometimes unintended consequences to reform, and corporations have been really effective at leveraging reforms in the Constitution designed for progressive ends to serve the ends of capital. So it's not a criticism of Ralph Nader as much as a story of how corporations have been successful at manipulating and exploiting even the work of Ralph Nader to advance the cause of business. You've convinced us it wasn't Ralph's fault. And what today are the most important initiatives on on that front to to restore equal justice under the law as opposed to the realities of corporate power? Well, there's, uh, you know, a lot of efforts. Uh, uh, there's an effort, for instance, to amend the Constitution, to declare that corporations are not people and have no rights under the Constitution. This has been um, endorsed uh, by about 19 states, um, uh, and that could go forward and amend the Constitution to overturn the Supreme Court's uh, decisions. I think it's probably uh, a very uh, tough call for that to happen, and maybe uh, something we might not want to happen if it means that media corporations uh, like the Washington Post or uh, CNN could be, uh, or KPFK could be uh, uh, shut down uh, uh, and claim with the government saying you have no rights because you're a corporation. Um, So there are moves, uh, and uh, like I say, I think these uh, Facebook hearings have revealed how private corporations are really taking all of our information and gaining so much intimate information about us 
that eventually we're going to have to impose privacy norms on those private corporations if we want to guarantee the values that the founders sought to protect with the Fourth Amendment, guaranteeing your uh, papers, houses, uh, and effects uh, from unreasonable searches and seizures. And let us acknowledge it's not just the ACLU which is concerned about uh, the excesses of uh, corporate power and the defense of the rights of individuals. Barack Obama, I believe, made an important statement about the corporations' uh, legal status during the uh, Romney, his campaign against Mitt Romney. You want to remind us about that little exchange? Well, of course, Romney was became notorious for saying, corporations are people, my friend, at the Iowa State Fair. That was way back when, when a gaffe actually sidetracked a presidential candidate, uh, unlike today, where it seems you can say anything. But that one gaffe really defined his campaign, um, and it was uh, thought to be really insensitive to uh, corporations. President Barack Obama weighed in on this issue many times, saying that no matter how many times you try to explain it, people are people. Corporations are not people. And of course, there was that one incident where uh, at the State of the Union address where Barack Obama was confronted uh, by the Supreme Court justices sitting right there in the front row, uh, and he argued right to them that he thought their decision in Citizens United was uh, wrongly decided and would open the floodgates for money, including money from foreign influences, to shape our elections. Uh, and indeed, right now, one of the biggest scandals we're seeing is about the effort of foreign countries to try to influence our elections. Adam Winkler, his new book is We the Corporations. Thanks so much for talking with us today. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.